Over the course of time, words can and frequently do change meaning. These changes are proof that language itself is always changing from one generation to the next. These differences oftentimes produce a communication gap between different generations. We can say the same thing regarding our English language Bible. As the English language changes the meaning of the words in our scriptures is changed. This begs the question, is Bible revision wrong? Now for our host, Dr. Bill Petrie. I was excited. At the time, my youngest son, Ulrich, who was seven years old, he now is going to be 24 this weekend, asked me for his first adult Bible. I, being a very staunch King James Version only advocate, found him a nice King James Version Bible. He could not wait to get home to begin reading it. He asked me what book he should start in, and I directed him to the book of Romans. The Bible was a reward for getting a perfect score in the New York State English Language Arts Test. The test results showed Ulrich to be reading at a high 5th grade, low 6th grade reading level. I was excited because Ulrich was only in the 2nd grade. He read the Bible faithfully for about two weeks and then stopped. I asked him why. He told me that he could not understand it. He had to keep looking up word meanings in the dictionary and the process was becoming very tedious and difficult, especially for a seven-year-old. At the same time, I was talking to my daughter Hannah's friends. She was 14 years old at that time, and they too had difficulty understanding the language of the 1611 Bible. Most of her friends, as well as Hannah, just stopped reading because as they phrased it, this is a foreign language that I cannot understand. These experiences, as well as some word studies I was doing at the time, caused a major shift in my thinking. Let me try to explain that shift in thinking in the remainder of this podcast. I believe it will show us that God does still speak to all of us through his written word in a language each generation of believers can understand. Used for nearly 400 years, actually over 400 years, the King James Version, published in 1611, was the prominent translation used in most Protestant churches. However, as the English language continued to change, it became increasingly more difficult for people to understand the Old English vernacular, faced with the obvious need for our society to understand God's word, scholars sought to update the scriptures into more contemporary language. The very word of God speaks to the need for generational revisions. Consider Psalm 12:6. The words of the Lord are pure words, is silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Every generation 
needs to go through the purification process as words change meaning. The best translation of the Bible is of no value if the reader cannot understand what is written. The changing of word meanings can make a majestic translation to one generation, a poor translation to following generations. This is why the psalmist mentions the purification of God's word. Consider just the word let and its meaning in 1611. The word let meant to resist or restrain in 1611. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 in the King James Version reads this way. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Today, the word let means to allow. Using today's meaning of the word let totally changes the meaning of the verses quoted. Unless the reader of God's word understands and knows the 1611 English, he or she will have a mistaken understanding of many verses. Consider these same verses in modern language and how much easier they are to understand. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 6 and 7 in the Universal Version Bible reads, And so you know what holds him back, so that he will be unveiled in his own era. For the secret of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is out of the way. In their preface to the 1611 King James Version, the King James Version translators argued that it was good to revise and attempt to improve earlier translations of God's Word. In other words, to continue the purification process Psalm 12.6 talks about. They acknowledged that attempts to revise the Bible such as theirs were often incorrectly viewed with suspicion and resentment. They realized they would be accused of changing and trying to correct God's word, but they still contended that revision was necessary. They wrote, and I quote, If anything be halting or superfluous or not so agreeable to the original, the same may be corrected in the truth set in place. The King James Version translators noted that the Roman Catholics criticized Protestants for altering and amending our translations so often. Thomas Fuller observed that Roman Catholics asked, was their translation good before? Why do they now mend it? And you can see that in his book, Church Story of Britain, on page 407, volume 5. 
1582 book, Gregory Martin, a Roman Catholic, condemned the early translators with this charge. How, how is it then that in your later English Bibles, you changed your former translation from better to worse? End of quote. Martin claimed, and I'm quoting, books which were so translated by Tyndale and the like as being not indeed God's book, word, or scripture, but the devil's word. End of quote. Gregory Martin argued that present translations must be evaluated or judged by the ancient Latin Vulgate translation that have been used by the church for over a thousand years. The King James Version translators did not consider that these Roman Catholic arguments against new translations or revision of former translations as valid. They recognized that this vague, emotionally charged claim that any revision is a corruption of God's word or that any revision makes the translation the devil's word is wrong. If the King James Version translators had accepted the claim that translations do not need to be revised, corrected, or updated, there would be no King James Version. On the title page of the 1611, the translators acknowledged that they diligently compared and revised the former English translations. According to the title page and to the preface of the 1611, their standard for revising translations was God's word in the original languages, in particular the Hebrew and Greek. To state it another way, the Hebrew and the Greek are superior to a receiver language. If the fallible Church of England translators of the King James Version could revise, correct, or update the earlier English Bibles by consulting God's Word in the original languages without it being wrong, the King James Version can be revised, corrected, or updated by this same standard that they themselves used. David Cloud a very staunch King James Version defender, admits this in his book, For the Love of the Bible. I quote, The King James Version is a revision of that line of received text English Bibles, stretching back to Tyndale. That comes from page 8. End of quote. In an article about King James Version translator John Overall, the reference works, the Dictionary of National Biography, referred to, and I quote, the 1611 revision of the translation of the Bible, end of quote. It comes from page 1270. In an article about Roger Fenton, these same reference books called the King James Version, and again I quote, the revised version of the Bible, end of quote. 
Thomas Harrison was noted to be among the revisers of the, of the Bible assembled by James I. If the claim that changing, revising, or updating a translation is corrupting God's word were valid, it would mean that the King James Version translators corrupted God's word. If the claim of no change or revision of a translation were valid, then believers must use the first translation into a language, regardless or whether it is an accurate translation or not. The fact should be obvious that a revision of a translation of the Bible is not always wrong. Even Peter Ruckman commended the genuine work of updating and revision in the bishops, Matthews, Coverdale's, Geneva, and Great Bibles. Of course, the fact that changes or revisions can be good does not mean that all changes are good. If a translation has some changes that seem to be for the worse or less accurate, it does not mean that all its changes or revisions are bad. An honest and objective comparison of the King James Version to its underlying Hebrew and Greek texts would show that the King James Version improved the rendering of the earlier good English Bibles in many places. Such a comparison would also show that every change or revision made by the King James Version translators was not necessarily a better or more accurate one. Please examine the evidence for yourself. Instead of relying on misleading arguments that tear down all revision of translations as the work of Satan. If applied consistently, such arguments would also condemn the revision version of 1611, the King James Version. If such arguments were not valid in 1611, why have they become valid today? The question gets asked, does revision of a translation involve the changing or altering of God's word? The King James Version translators claimed to have, and I quote, diligently compared and revised the former or English translations of God's word. End of quote. In their preface, they stated that, and I quote, revising that which hath been labored by others deserveth certainly much respect and esteem. End of quote. Evidently, the King James Version translators had enough knowledge to know that revision of a translation does not involve the changing of God's preserved word in the original languages. Do defenders of the King James Version today have the same respect for revisers of translations that the King James Version translators themselves had? 
In a section of his book entitled Superior Translation Technique, D.A. Waite condemned the diabolical principle of subtracting from the words of God. The diabolical principle of the changing of the words of God. The diabolical principle of adding to the word of God. Now, those quotes come from his work, Defending the King James Bible, pages 91 through 93. Waite wrote, and I'm quoting, There's nothing more satanic than altering or changing the words of God. That comes from the same book on page 107. Waite then implied that any revision or changing of the words of a translation was satanic. Here's the problem. The problem is that defenders of the King James Version only position failed to see how their misinterpretations would make the revision of the early English translations by the King James Version translators into something evil or satanic. Have the defenders of the King James Version diligently compared the good English Bibles they put on their line of or tree of good Bibles? If they had, they would know the King James Version added over 100 words to the very early good Bibles. Check Mark 11.26, Mark 15.3, Luke 17.36, John 8.6, John 8.9. John 8.59, John 19.38, James 4.6, 1 John 2.23, Revelation 18.23, Revelation 21.26, and I could name a dozen others. The King James Version subtracted over a hundred words from the very first authorized Bible, the Great Bible, in the book of Acts alone. The King James Version omitted three verses found in one of the Psalms in the Great Bible. The King James Version also omitted the phrase, and he said to his disciples in John 14, 1, which is found in most of the very early English Bibles. The Church of England translators of the King James Version also changed or revised many, many words in the former translations. According to the claimed principles of defenders of the King James Version, some of these changes even involve important Bible doctrines. Tyndale's Old Testament has the name Jehovah at least 14 times, where the King James Version does not. For example, Tyndale's Matthews and Geneva Bibles have the Lord Jehovah, at Exodus 23, 17. Well, the King James Version has the Lord God. At Genesis 23, 6, Tyndale's, Coverdale's, and Geneva have Prince of God. Well, the King James Version has Mighty Prince. In the margin of the 1611 edition, the King James Version translators had the following note, Hebrew, a Prince of God. 
Matthews has a fear sent of God at 1 Samuel 14, 15. Well, the King James Version has a great trembling. Six early English Bibles have wrath of God at 1 Thessalonians 2.16. Well, the King James Version only has wrath. Servings of God is the rendering of five early English Bibles, while divine service is the King James Version rendering. At 1 Thessalonians 4.2, at least four English Bibles have Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the King James Version has Lord Jesus. At Colossians 4.18, Wycliffe's in the Great Bible has grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, where the King James Version has grace. At Acts 10.48, the King James Version has Lord, where Wycliffe's has Lord Jesus Christ. Using the same reckoning many King James Version only defenders use, the King James Version is weakening the deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, the King James Version Bible is making him less than he is. While the King James Version has baptized with water, at John 1.33, some early English Bibles had baptized in water. At Romans 10.21, several English Bibles have believeth not. Well, the King James Version changed it to disobedient. Isn't there a big difference between believing not and disobedience? The two are not the same. It totally changed the meaning. When the facts are examined, it becomes obvious a claim that revision of a translation must involve corrupting or altering the word of God is misleading at best. A consistent application of the King James Version only principle that any revision of the King James Version involves adding to, subtracting from, or changing God's word would likewise condemn the King James Version itself, since it added to, subtracted from, and changed the early English Bibles. The former translations and revised version of 1611 provide proof that the King James Version only view is incorrect in many of its claims. Would a correct view of Bible translation ignore the dil diligent comparison of the early English Bibles? Will a correct view of Bible translation with revision of earlier translations with only suspicion or with respect? In their preface to the 1611 King James Version, the translators stated that their endeavor or goal had been to make a good English translation better or to make out of many good English translations one principal good one. Their mark or goal 
is and was a worthwhile one. They sought to revise and improve the early good English Bibles. If translators today attempt to accomplish such a goal, would it not be condemned by some as pride or as an attempt to corrupt God's word? The King James Version translators were successful in improving or making the early English translations better in many, many places. Nevertheless, some important questions must be considered. Were the King James Version translators infallible and perfect in all the revisions that they made of the early good Bibles? Did they improve the early good translations in every one of their changes? Is the King James Version better, more accurate, and clearer in every verse than the early English Bibles? Did the English-speaking people have a perfect word of God before the King James Version? And if they didn't, where was the perfect word of God? Even if it were established that the King James Version is much better overall than any one of the earlier translations, it would not prove that it is better in every rendering or every verse. One example of a clearer, more accurate or better rendering in another translation would prove that the King James Version is not a perfect translation. Of course, anyone can make statements or claims that sound good. The important matter is whether the statements are established by the evidence. Let us consider the following example. At 2 Peter 1.1, the King James Version reads, The righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, four early English translations, Tyndale's, Coverdale's, Matthew's, and Taverner's, have righteousness that cometh of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The great Whittingham's, Geneva, and Bishop's Bibles have righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do these early Bibles teach the deity of Jesus Christ more clearly in this verse than does the King James Version? I would say they absolutely do. At Romans 9, Verse 5, the King James Version has, Christ came who is over all, God blessed forever. Tyndale's and Matthew's read, Christ came which is God over all things, blessed forever. Coverdale's and Whittingham's read, Christ came which is God over all, blessed forever. The Great and Bishop's Bible read, Christ came which is God in all things to be praised forever. 
The Geneva Bible reads, Christ came, who is God over all blessed forever. Is not the deity of Christ taught more clearly in these early Bibles in this verse than the King James Version? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, several of the early English Bibles do not add the word unknown before tongue or language. Did the adding of the word unknown in italics in the King James Version make the understanding of this verse clearer? Well, only one example is needed. A few more should establish the point beyond dispute. The same Hebrew word translated fill many times in the King James Version was also translated fill in five of the early good Bibles. At Genesis 1.28, at Leviticus 12.8, Coverdale's has turtle doves. Well, the King James Version has turtles. At Exodus 5.8, Tyndale's, Matthew's, and Geneva have number. Well, the King James Version is an archaic use of tail. Coverdale's, Matthew's, and the Great Bibles have weapons at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 40. Well, the Geneva has bows and arrows. The King James has artillery. Is that clearer or better at this verse? Does the evidence show that the King James Version is better, clearer, or more accurate than all other English translations in every verse? The attempted endeavor of the King James Version translators is worthy of respect. Nevertheless, the fact that they had a lofty goal does not mean they succeeded perfectly in accomplishing it. The King James translators did not claim to be perfect. Instead, they argued that the Pope was not free from error by special privilege, and that he is special to the same afflictions and infirmity that others are. The King James Version translators would not have claimed some special privilege for themselves. And it is wrong for others to grant them some unscriptural spiritual privilege of being perfect in translating. Why are there so many Bible translations? For over 300 years, the King James Version published in 1611 was the prominent translation used in Protestant churches. However, as the English language continued to change, it became increasingly more difficult for people to understand the old English vernacular. Faced with the obvious need for our society to understand God's word, scholars sought to update the scriptures into more contemporary language. Dr. Lewis Foster one of those who helped translate the New International Version and the New King James Version 
says, and I quote, it is necessary to continue making new translations and revising old ones if people are to read the word of God in their contemporary languages. With the passage of time, words change in meaning. For instance, in King James's day, the word prevent could mean to come before, but not necessarily in a hindering way. So the translators that rendered 1 Thessalonians 4.15, and I'm quoting it, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. But today the word prevent has lost that earlier meaning, the meaning of to come before. So it must be translated differently to convey the proper meaning. Hence, the Universal Version Bible rendering. For this we are saying to you by the word of Yahweh, that we, the living, who are surviving to the presence of Yahweh, should by no means forestall those who are dead. To keep the translation of God's word living, it must be kept in the living language the people are using. Well, new translations have generally been a welcome contribution to the comprehension of Scripture, they have also received mixed reactions across the Christian spectrum. One story is told of a pastor who tried to introduce a revised version of the Bible to his rigidly conservative congregation. So what is wrong with the King James Version, said one woman in defense. In my opinion, if it was good enough for Jesus, it is good enough for us. Now that amusing irony is that Jesus obviously did not speak the old English of the King James Version. Neither was the Bible originally recorded in English. Despite the sacred tradition that many revere of the King James Version, it is merely a translation of the inspired Word of God. It is not the initial source. The Old Testament was authored in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament in Greek. While the original autographs no longer exist, translations are made from ancient manuscript copies, of which there are today at least 24,000 whole or in part with which to compare. An English version of the Bible did not exist until a little more than 600 years ago. Before then, a version translated into Latin by Jerome in the 4th century called the Latin Vulgate was the most widely used Bible translation in the Middle Ages. It was the first major book printed on Gutenberg's press 
1456. Portions of scripture in Middle English began to emerge in the early 7th century, but the first complete English, actually Middle English, translation was not produced until 1382 by the influence of John Wycliffe. Despite fierce opposition of the Roman Church and absence of the printing press, copies of the Wycliffe work were widely circulated. Later, in the 16th century, seven more popular English versions were produced, beginning with William Tyndale's work in 1525. This English version of the New Testament was the first to be translated directly from the Greek instead of Latin texts. Before Tyndale's completion of the Old Testament, he was tried as a heretic and executed in 1536. After Tyndale, several other famous Bibles were produced in the 16th century. The Cloverdale Bible in 1535, the Matthews Bible in 1537, the Great Bible in 1539, the Geneva Bible in 1560, and the Geneva Bible is the first Bible to use chapters, verses, and the italicization of added words. And the Bishop's Bible came out later in 1568. Finally, in 1604, to resolve severe factions between Englishmen over Bible versions, King James I authorized the translation of another version that came to bear his name. He imposed upon those translators rules of translation. Some of these rules of translation is that they had to support king's rights. They could not contradict any of the doctrines of the Church of England. Forty-seven scholars spent six years on the translation. With all work meticulously reviewed and refined by their combined collaboration, the four existing Masoretic texts were used for the Old Testament, and a third edition of the Byzantine Greek text by Stephanus often referred as the Textus Receptus, was used for the New Testament. The King James Version was finally published in 1611, and together with its four revisions in 1629, 1638, 1762, and 1769, it remains as the most widely circulated Bible in existence. A few other translations were produced over the centuries, but the real revolution of new Bible versions began to erupt 
in the 20th century, largely due to the widening language barrier. Some of the more influential recent translations have been the Revised Standard Version in 1952, the Amplified Bible in 1965, the New English Bible in 1970, the New American Standard Bible in 1971, the Living Bible in 1971, today's English version in 1976, and the New International Version in 1978, and the New King James Version in 1982. Apart from these versions, there are numerous study Bible editions, such as the Schofield Reference Bible, the Open Bible, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, or the Spirit Life Bible, and many others. But these are not different translations. One need not adhere to the King James Version-only doctrine to respect the King James Version as God's Word. Many Christians greatly revere the King James Version, read it, quote from it, believe it, and seek to live by it. Who do not subscribe to the King James Version-only doctrine? One need not adhere to the King James Version-only doctrine to express criticisms of other translations. Many believers who do not hold to the King James Version-only doctrine have specific criticisms of other translations, and oftentimes these are very valid. For example, many evangelicals are critical of gender-inclusive translations, such as the New, New Revised Standard Version, Many evangelicals have pointed out weaknesses or problems in the New International Version. Sober criticism of other translations assumes a humble perspective that recognizes that no translator or translators have produced a perfect translation and that translators who make mistakes are not necessarily corrupting God's word. Plus, there is the understanding that language is continually changing. Words are added into languages. Words fall out of languages. And words change meaning in languages. This is what the purification process of Psalm 12.6 is all about. Advocacy of the King James Version-only doctrine is no guarantee of doctrinal truth or interpretive accuracy. A variety of Christian sects of American origin embrace the King James Version in exclusivist fashion, and many within mainline Christendom would call these people cultists. I'm not going to point out who those individuals are or what denominations they are, because again, that becomes a subjective thing as well. I will say this. Today, Ulrich has a new Bible. It 
is not a King James Version, but rather it is a revision. He can read and understand it in the language that he reads, speaks, and understands. The scriptures have come alive for him. In the preface to the King James Version, the translators themselves pose the following question, and I quote, How shall men meditate on that which they cannot understand? End of quote. Their goal was to give the word of God to the people in a form that could be readily understood by the common man. That was their goal over 400 years ago. The English language has undergone tremendous changes since that time, as has every language. And as a result, there are places in the text of the King James Version that are simply impossible for most people today to understand. And that's a shame. There are some words that were in use in the early 17th century that are still in use today. But their meaning has changed drastically. These words in the King James Version can become hidden rocks on which the ship of understanding runs aground. Would it not be simpler and better to have a translation which would, at the first reading, without comment, suggest the meaning the writer intended? Is it not time to do what the King James scholars said they were attempting to do? To deliver God's book to God's people in a tongue they understood. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.